Samuel 17, please, everybody. And if you're in a pew Bible, that'll be on page 202, bottom right-hand corner. Boy, there are some things that just really came together already this morning in terms of where we're at with the lesson and comments that have already been made or songs that have been sung. Darcy, uh, during the Lord's Supper, mentioned the notion of David being one who doesn't forget what God does. And that's so much where we're at this morning. I find that myself, I do forget. At least I, I think I do. Um, the, yesterday, I was working on my truck. I have a 1998 Mazda B3000 it's got 169,000 miles on it, which isn't that much actually these days. I mean, cars just last a long time these days. But I hadn't put shocks on it in 100,000 miles. So I thought, boy, it's really time for me to put shocks on this thing. So I thought, well, I'll, you know, I'll climb into there and do the shock thing. But I forget two things. Number one, maybe three things. <laughs> yeah, I think it's three things. I forget that it's cold outside and that after a while after a few hours in the cold just how that's going to feel I also forget that I'm getting older which means that the third thing I forget which is how hard it is to work on my truck is going to hurt a lot more by the end of the day and certainly the next day I forget these things. And so this morning, I had a few things left to do on it. So I got up early and I went in the garage and I laid down in this cold garage floor. I, I mean, I had enough clothes on. I was warm enough. But there were parts of my body that were pressing against the floor that had been pressing against the floor the previous day all day long. And those parts this morning hurt when they were pressing against the floor. But yesterday, when I got ready to start on working on my truck, I was actually kind of excited. I thought, this is going to be fun. I'm going to, you know, I, I enjoy working on my vehicle. So I'm going to get into there. I'll put these shocks on. This is going to be kind of fun. And I just forgot. That by the end of the day, I'm thinking, this is not fun at all. And the next day, I'm thinking, not only was it not fun yesterday, but now I'm not having fun today. And it just hurts. But time passes, like, I don't know, maybe I'll work on my, my truck in some significant way in three months or four months or six months or whatever. And between now and then, I will have forgotten again what that's going to be like. And then I'll have to go through this experience all over again. It's kind of like what I've experienced when I run. And you're like this too. It's New Year's, and so we're going to get back in shape. But the thing that we have forgotten between now and the last time that we did this, was how much it hurts to have to get in shape again. In fact, if we were to remember every time how much it hurts to get back in shape, we would never allow ourselves to get out of shape. Because trying to get back into shape is so very painful. It just hurts. And to shed those 10 pounds that you want to get rid of, oh, it is so difficult to shed those 10 pounds. And I know you ladies are thinking, yeah, well, you're a guy and guys lose weight easier. Okay, but it hurts for us too. Okay? So, this morning is in many ways about forgetting. That's not all that it's about, but it certainly is about 
forgetting. It's really important that you look at the scriptures with me this morning. So if you haven't opened your Bible yet, I really want you to look at 1 Samuel 17. And again, if you're in a pew Bible, it's on page 202 at the bottom, right? And I just want you to notice some things here as we go through this text. I'm going to read some sections of it here and kind of make some comments as we go along. And I just think this is fascinating. And in fact, in many ways, this story is not about David and Goliath. What this story is about, as much as anything, is this whole notion of forgetfulness. Chapter 17, verse 1 says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sakah in Judah. And the first thing I want to just notice here is the fact that the Philistines, who worship other gods, have entered into Judah. And it seems like such a throwaway line. But do you realize what's happening? These pagans have encroached on Israel's land. Israel's land has been given to Israel by God. And they have spent a lot of effort. God has worked hard. It's taken a long time. And they have moved into this land. And now the Philistines are coming in and saying, we're going to take this land from you. This is God's land. This is Israel's land given to them by God. And the Philistines have encroached on God's land. And mighty Israel in response is failing to defend God and failing to defend his land. Look down at verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out? And line up for battle. That's actually a very good question. Because it seems as though they had no intentions of doing anything when they lined up. Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now again, this is fascinating. We're talking here about a Philistine who stands up and yells at the armies of the living God. And the armies of the living God, in response to this champion from Philistine, from Philistine, do Nothing, really. And what I want to know is, it's interesting because they actually consider this, okay? We don't have a champion like Goliath. We're all afraid of that, so we're not going to run out there and fight against Goliath. But what I want to know is, what in the world are they waiting for as an army anyway? Like, why are they playing this game with the Philistines? Why is it the Goliath thing even works? For 40 days, Goliath stands up and yells at the army of God and says, send a man out to fight me. Now, maybe they don't have anybody big enough and strong enough to fight Goliath. Unless, of course, God is behind that person, as we find out. But what I want to know is, what in the world are they waiting for? Why are they not going to battle against the Philistines to begin with? Why are they saying, oh, no, we better not send anybody out against Goliath? What they're saying is, we better not go to war at all. And there's all this hesitancy. Now, what's interesting, again, about that 
is the ways in which and the things which they have forgotten. I want you to turn back to chapter 10. uh, Sorry, in Joshua. Go to Joshua chapter 10, verse 40. Joshua is a few books before this. Thank you. 158, did you say? 158 in the Pew Bibles. And look at chapter 10 in Joshua, verse 40. So Joshua, it says, and this is earlier on, of course, subdued the whole region, including the hill country, the Negev, the western foothills, and the mountain slopes, together with all their kings. He left no survivors. He totally destroyed all who breathed, just as the Lord the God of Israel had commanded. Joshua subdued them from Kadesh Barnea to Gaza and from the whole region of Goshen to Gibeon. All these kings and their lands Joshua conquered in one campaign because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. What are the people apparently forgetting as they stand on their own ground in Judah with the Philistines having encroached on their land with Goliath standing up against them and yelling, what have they forgotten? Well, essentially everything that God has done for them. Look over at Joshua chapter 12. While you're there in Joshua 10, look at chapter 12. This is an amazing chapter. All that chapter 12 in Joshua is, is a record of the kings and the cities and the lands that Israel has conquered. And so it starts to list the kings. In fact, it says in chapter 12, verse 1, These are the kings of Israel whom the Israelites had uh, defeated and whose territory they took over east of the Jordan from the Arnan Gorge to Mount Hermon, including all the eastern side of the Arabah. And so they've conquered Sihon, king of of the Amorites. If you look down in verse 4, they have the territory of Og, king of Bashan. And it just goes on and on. Look at verse 8, at the end of verse 8. They have the lands of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. And then, if your Bible is like mine, it lists a list of all of the kings that have been defeated. The king of Jericho, the king of Ai, near Bethel, Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, Eglon, Gezer, Deber, Gedan, Horma, Herod, Libna, Adullam, Makeda, Bethel. I'm just showing off, actually, that I can pronounce these names. <laughs> Look at all of these cities that the Israelites have conquered. And listen, there are about 40 different wars in which the, these people have engaged. And in Joshua 10, it specifically says that they were able to do that because God fought for Israel. Well, I'll tell you what, something between Joshua 12 and 1 Samuel 17 has happened. And the people have forgotten what God does. And the Philistines have encroached on Israel they have gone into God's land. Now, by the way, I think it's interesting that Philist- the Philistines haven't charged into battle against the Israelites either. Have you noticed that? Why do you think that is? Like, why is it that they send Goliath out there for 40 days and yell, 
Come on out and fight me, somebody. Just send somebody out and I'll fight somebody. Why is that? Like, why is it that the Philistines haven't gone against Israel as an army and just gone in and wiped them out if they thought they could? If they're just filled with Goliaths, why don't they just go do that? Well, there's a very good reason. Because they haven't forgotten. Because they have heard all this stuff. They heard about Jericho and the walls falling down. They heard about some kings who got posted on a wall. They have heard about how Israel, city after city after city after city after city, first in the south and then in the north, completely conquered. They know that. They haven't forgotten. And they are not about to just enter into battle against Israel. And so they send Goliath out, and he tries to make a deal with them. Look, I'm nine feet tall. Send your guy out, and we'll battle, and maybe if I beat him, then we won't have to go to war. And you can just be my servants. Maybe that's our only hope, because we've heard what you people are like. And he doesn't say all of that, but that's what's happening. That's why they don't want to fight against Israel. And Israel has forgotten. So go back to 1 Samuel 17. Just a couple of other things here. Verse 19. Says, uh, (laughs) this is ironic, isn't it? They're trying to tell David where the armies are. Well, they're with Saul. Uh, and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. <laughs> no, they're not. They're standing around doing nothing, scared to death to fight against the Philistines, instead almost running in fear. Look at down at verse 25. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. That's why we're fighting for God. So that we can have all these material possessions and get this new wife. Of course not. They've entirely lost the vision for what they're doing. The best reason they can come up with for someone going out and fighting against Goliath is because he's going to get wealthy. Instead of fighting on behalf of the living God. Notice the difference between that and David's response. Verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? That's what David's concerned about. He's defying the armies of the living God. The Israelites are thinking, maybe we'll get to marry the king's daughter. And David doesn't care about that. Verse 31. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. I think this is fascinating. David starts mouthing off, as far as they're concerned, about how he can go defeat God or about how the armies need to defeat God. And what does Saul do? Saul sends for him. And I'm thinking that Saul is not just sending for him because he wants to rebuke him or he's going to put him in prison for defiling 
the name of the armies of Israel or something. I think that Saul is hopeful. (laughs) Maybe this guy who's talking this way will actually go do something about Goliath. And Saul's hopeful because Saul knows that he's not going to go and do something about Goliath and doesn't want to have to. I mentioned in a life group just last night, do you know who the most likely person is to go against Goliath in all of Israel? It's Saul. Do you remember when he was appointed king? What did they say about Saul? Big, handsome, mighty warrior. Saul himself is over seven feet tall. I'm guessing there weren't that many seven-foot-tall Israelites running around. If there's anybody who is in some way able to go against Goliath, it's Saul, but he wants no part of it. Well, I'll send for this guy. I don't know who he is, but maybe he'll come. Maybe he's the one. Oh, it's just a boy. Oh, no. I thought maybe we had some chance here. But it's just a kid. Except that this kid is not operating with Saul's perspective. This kid is operating with God's perspective. So in verse 33, it says, Saul replied, you're not able to go against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, and he's been, fighting a man, he's been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Can you imagine? This, this boy is out fighting lions, tigers, and bears. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. His uncircumc- this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Completely different perspective from someone who has not forgotten what God has done for Israel. And so verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give... Oh man, what boldness in the name of God he has. I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world and they're all going to know that there's a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Just two things I want you to see. Obviously, there was a corporate problem, a body problem here, a problem that went throughout Israel. As a nation, they had been distracted by their successes. They had gone in, they had taken a land, it seemed so easy, and now they have forgotten how difficult it is and how badly they need God. And they have failed to remember what God is able to do. And church, isn't it the case that today we suffer from the same malady? We have a beautiful building. 
We have people who can come here with ease on Sunday mornings and worship the Lord. We can have beautiful worship. And we come, all of us, dressed nicely. Probably nobody here woke up this morning and didn't have food to eat. Everything is so convenient. Everything is actually so good. And because things are so good, it is so easy for us to forget. To forget what it was like when the gospel started going into the world. About our brothers and sisters who were killed for the sake of Christ. For, about people who are killed even today. It's not unusual at all for us to hear about martyrs. In our world today, martyrs for Christ. But I don't remember that all the time. There's an awful lot of times when that doesn't cross my mind. My Christianity is so easy. And because of that, when we're faced with a real trial, like our world no longer believing in God, like when the world starts to say no to our God, no to the message of the gospel, and even begins to persecute the church, we still have it so easy. And so we look at that and think, we know we should do something here. Something drastic has to be done. We need to share the gospel with others. But we've just forgotten so much of our story that we don't remember how badly we need God and that when we do have God with us, the wonderful things that we can do in the name of Christ and the way in which the world can be changed. And so like Israel... Sometimes we line up for battle and we do a lot of shouting, war cries, we're going to war for God, we're going to go evangelize the world, and there's a lot of saber rattling about what we're going to do in the name of Jesus. But so often the church ends up doing almost nothing. And we need to remember that God is with us. And that we do have these challenges. And that we can get so much done for him. Second thing, and simply this. There have got to be individuals who stand up for the Lord. The corporate problem is one thing. But the corporate problem is simply the culmination of a lot of individuals who make these same decisions for God. Or not for God. And when the church does well, it's because there are individuals who stand up in the name of God and choose to make sacrifices for Him, putting themselves at risk, but believing so much in who He is and that He is with them that they're willing to risk their lives for the sake of God and to go into battle. You know, one of the things that we forget is, and we see other churches being successful. And and our church, we, we can look at other churches and see them being successful. We can even say, let's model ourselves after this very successful church. Let's be like them. Let's do the things they do. We'll copy this to a T and we'll be just like them. But the thing that we don't remember or don't realize is that it's not just a model. It's not just a form. It's not just a procedure. 
If the church doesn't have the heart of David as we go into battle, it doesn't matter what form we have. It doesn't matter what our model is. It doesn't matter whether we follow it to a T. It's the heart that has to be there. And so among the ranks of those successful churches, there are people with those hearts. This isn't the first time that Israel had noticed that there were giants in the land. Do you remember what they did the first time? And then God came and he did wonderful things. But now another giant arises. And they have forgotten. And we cannot forget... And when these giants around us arise, we need to respond with the heart of David and battle for the Lord. I'm going to pray and and then I've got some instructions having nothing to do with the sermon, so sit tight for a moment, okay? Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would bless us and help us to serve and honor you. Help us to have not just the implements of war, armor that doesn't fit. Give us hearts. Give us hearts like David and help us to face our giants. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen. There are some forms that Bud has. Um, looks like Mike's going to help him. Um, as we finish worship here, these forms are a... a we're trying to, to reconstruct our database. And it's very important that every family, each family needs to take one of these forms, not every individual, but every family needs to take one of these. And before you leave this morning, there's a cardboard box out in the connecting center, and I'd like you to take that form and just put it in the connecting center, okay? So if you stay for class, you can do it during class. You know, if you're getting ready to leave, then please do it before you leave. Cardboard box in the connection center. Please fill out that form and put it in there. I'd appreciate it. Thanks.